sorry. I'm so sorry to yeah. cut you off. I just need to unplug the fridge. <laughs> Is it this one? Yeah, I'm sorry. Is it rattling? You can hear that? Oh, shit. No, that's not the fridge. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Catch Me Outside. Before I introduce today's episode, I want to do a little call out. I'm seeking backcountry food recipes and funny stories about backcountry cooking fails for an upcoming episode featuring listener stories. If you've got something to share, you can either type it up and email it to catchmeoutsidepod at gmail.com and I'll read it on the podcast, or you can record a voice memo that I will incorporate into the episode. I'm planning to release this episode on September 6th, so if you want to be part of it, please send your recipe or funny story by August 31st. All right, so... Friend of the pod and episode two guest Candice Lung is back from her long-ass section hike on the Pacific Crest Trail. Candice covered the first 1,090 miles or so of the PCT, hiking from the southern terminus in Campo to Lake Tahoe. She saw gopher snakes, rattlers, and fruit platters arranged to look like Donald and Melania Trump riding dolphins. She filtered water from questionable sources, and she caught the last season of Scout and Frodo's hiker hosting. She toughed out the desert and walked through the Sierra, all so she could talk about it on Catch Me Outside. Jokes aside, for today's episode, Candice gives me the long and gory rundown, shares some thoughts on the culture of thru-hiking, and offers advice for Canadians hoping to hike the trail themselves. I'm Megan Dallaire, this is Catch Me Outside, and without further delay, let's get to it. Holy shit. <laughs> Congratulations on on hiking. Uh, what did you, what was it, like 1,100 miles? Almost 1,100 miles. Um, so 1,090.8 official trail miles plus another 14 for Whitney. 16? 16 miles. Yeah. You know, but uh, yeah, almost 1,100 miles. And uh, And you were saying earlier, like people keep congratulating you and it doesn't feel quite right <laughs> yeah I mean you know because I did less than half the trail um and uh you know that was a function of just being limited in the time that I had right um but you know I was lucky enough to get a permit last November so I decided I was just going to carve out enough time to get me through the Sierra Nevada mountain range which is of course the most coveted part of the Pacific Crest Trail so I figured that I was given you know, this opportunity, it was hard to get a permit. So I was going to at least try and make that far, which I did. So I went all the way from Campo. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went all the way from Campo, which is at the Mexico border, um, all the way to uh, Lake Tahoe. Yeah. So I ended in South Lake Tahoe. Damn. That's so, that's so cool. And Lake Tahoe, I mean, is it a, is it one of those town vortex places because it just looks so beautiful like I feel like people want to spend time there but it also looks expensive it it actually was one of my least favorite trail towns yeah um it's a really spread out city uh and you know it's a huge tourist trap there's like 
tons of resorts. And the, mm. the worst thing about Lake Tahoe, actually, that really bothered me is that they privatize a lot of the access to the water. Oh, so fuck. you have to, like, <laughs> pay to go to certain beaches. And, you know, it could be, like, $30 for a day pass. Um, there are some city-owned stretches of beaches, but it's just a very spread-out city. So it's, it's not super enjoyable to get around. Even though the buses were free. So that was cool. But, you know, trail towns are... Trail towns are like a lot of people go to Lake Tahoe for a variety of reasons. Like there's families that vacation there. It's a winter destination as well. You can yeah. go skiing nearby. You know, there's all these different reasons to be there. But if you're a hiker with like not, you're not really interested in spending a lot of money and you have no car and you have to rely on the buses, it's like not the most enjoyable place, but also wasn't the worst trail town either. Really? I mean, you, you, uh, yeah, you went through some pretty um, wild places. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like hiking, I think, a long trail in America is also immersing yourself in America itself because you pass through all these small towns that you otherwise would probably never go to and you probably have never heard of, right? And yeah. it's you get to meet a lot of people who are not like you, especially when you are a woman who's a person of color from Canada. Yeah, in these, like, crazy libertarian, like... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you, you go through some pretty uh, conservative places um, by California standards, um, but it's also just, like, sort of the duality of America, right? Like, you would meet lots of, you know, very liberal folks and then lots of people who have very different experiences and different opinions and different views. Lots so, of Trump supporters, for sure. Yeah. So, um, are you are you talking about Big Bear? Um, I mean, all through the trail. I mean, yeah. I thought Big Bear had the most Republican vibe as far as town trail towns go, but like you would meet people like that all up and down the trail. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think a wide variety of people are drawn to the outdoors, and you're not just meeting through hikers, right? Like, you can't assume that every through hiker is super liberal, and you know inclusive and stuff like that like a lot no, of people just sure. come from small towns in america like that is representative of america all the people that you're meeting and you know you meet section hikers you meet day hikers you meet just people in town and they have nothing to do with the trail right so you're not you're not living in a bubble like you're you're running into all different types of people so but you know bear, big bear in particular i stayed with kenny who was He's a big Trump supporter. He's um, he has a, a Trump mural painted on the front of his garage uh, that says Trump 2024. Um, and, uh, you know, he's not shy about his beliefs. Um, Is this the guy who made the fruit, the fruit arrangements? Well, of... he, he doesn't make the fruit salad. Oh, OK. He he it became a sort of thing that hikers who were staying with him um they would make the fruit salad and then it became a competition and he was going to like award a winner at the end of his hosting season okay. where he would pick the best fruit salad. So the hikers were, were pandering yeah. to him with their like Trump or Donald and Melania on, on dolphin. Did you do that or did someone no, else do I, that? No, I did not have anything to do with it. I just chopped, <laughs> okay. I chopped potatoes, but um, yeah. you know, I, it's, I, I don't think you should set aside politics, but I certainly was interested to meet people who, you know, I'd spend spent many years as a journalist sort of 
thinking about and pondering and trying to get inside their head. So it was like interesting to meet people like that um, after, you know, a pretty chaotic uh, six years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's not, you can't die on the same hill every day over and over and over again every time you run into people like, you know, like you have to kind of just. It's also not my country. So you kind of have to view it with a sort of like anthropological, you know, curiosity. Distance. (laughs) Distance. Yeah. Distance, but also curiosity, right? It's like, like, what's the point of hiking across America if you're not going to at least be open to meeting a wide variety of people? Yeah. You know, you shouldn't, especially as an international hiker, you should not go in there with any like preconceived notion of like who it is you're going to meet or like, oh, I don't want to be friendly to people like this. Because yeah. again, you know, Kenny is very gracious to open up his home. The, the, the trade-off is that you pay him money. Yeah. Right. But that covers his costs because he drives you around. He feeds you. It costs money. Um, <clears throat> you know, trail angels and trail hosts, and sort of like that whole ecosystem of people who support hikers, it's like you shouldn't take them for granted. Like what they're yeah. doing is a service. No, you for know, sure. And that deserves compensation. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So when we when we spoke in, I think it was November or December, you, you were hesitant to talk too much about your hike because you hadn't done it yet and you didn't want to jinx it, I guess. So now now you've done it. Um, did it like are there how did it meet or or exceed or or fall short of your expectations now that you can talk about what expectations you might have had <laughs> mm. i mean well for one you know like i said my sense of accomplishment is is on pause cuz i don't feel like i have unfinished business you know yeah. like i i did i did 1100 miles of it but i want to finish the rest um but, you know, it was a really great experience. I think that um, humans in the Western world, especially in North America, are addicted to working or they are forced to work relentlessly. Yeah. And everyone deserves rest and an extended period of time to just exist in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the best part of the, about it is simply to just like have a new routine for a while and not have to worry about everyday concerns. Um, and, you know, just experience something and to rely on your own physical strengths and your mental strengths and to challenge yourself. Um, I also think that a lot of people go their whole lives without ever challenging themselves truly yeah. physically, physically. To, or mentally to be outside of their comfort zones. Um, you know, so that, that was, sorry, I'm so sorry to yeah. cut you off. I just need to unplug the fridge. <laughs> Is it this one? Yeah. I'm sorry. Is it rattling? You can hear that? Oh shit. No, that's not the fridge. Okay, I'm sorry. Do you remember where you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, you know, that, that was one of the most interesting parts about being on trail is, like, I mean, I don't have a lot of problems being alone. Um, I, I think a lot of people found it challenging to be alone or, or to have to deal with the monotony day-to-day of hiking. Um, that was not an issue for me. Uh, a lot of people, I think, have you know, they always need to be around other people, whether you want to call it codependency or just constantly needing 
you know, socializing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm, I mostly hiked alone. I had lots of friends that I made, you know, sometimes we would camp together, but I didn't set my schedule according to a trail family or anything like right. that. I, I really wanted to just go at my own pace. Um, I, I feel like I feel like I feel you trying not to say hike my own hike. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, yes, you, everyone should hike their own hike, and and so I don't want to pass judgment, right? Yeah, like yeah. people want to hike their own hike by by finding a trail family and like forming really close bonds with other people and like you know having to camp with other folks every night. That's cool. That's their hike. It's not yeah. my hike. I preferred to be alone um yeah. i prefer the flexibility of that uh i also you know had enough money and resources that i i could do that you know so i could like take a zero in town if i wanted or i could like Not get my own be. get my own hotel room or you know yeah i wasn't really governed by other people's schedules right um so you know and that was important to me because you know i just needed some time to myself yeah. uh you know after a pretty stressful few years of working in journalism and I feel that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, I, I think it's important, right? And so yeah. so a lot of people, you know, you they go their whole lives without ever being alone for extended period of time. And also they go their whole lives without ever challenging themselves physically to see what they're capable of. And so that was the best part about the hike, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't find it that difficult. No, physically? In the sense. Um, or just well, <laughs> being alone <laughs> be, Being mentally, alone, yeah. I mean, physically, I, I held up pretty well. Um, I think that a lot of the the exercises I was doing, the training I was doing leading up to the hike helped. Yeah. So what? how did you train for the hike? And yeah, like, can you tell me a little more about about how that paid off for you? Yeah. So um, I guess I had a really, like, I, I do a lot of weightlifting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my main base of, like, w- like, where I was, athletically speaking physically speaking. Um, so building muscle was not, not a concern. Um, you know, but I did a lot of like unilateral work. So a lot of like single leg squats, Bulgarian squats, split squats, uh, single leg deadlifts, um, ankle exercises, calf raises, you know, deadlifts, squats of all iterations. (laughs) Um, Just and leg, leg day for six months leading up to your yeah, hike? Yeah, no, not heavy, but, you know, you're working on building up your plane of strength, like, on, on multiple planes of strength, yeah. right? Like, not just, not just uh, trying to get really... Swole. <laughs> really swole, really <laughs> jacked, you know? But it was more like paying attention to being like, oh, can I keep my balance, right? Yeah. Can I, can I strengthen the muscles, you know, in my quad to like, so my knee doesn't blow up. And exactly. Stuff like that. Yeah. And so for the most part, it did work. Uh, I, I think I, you know, have pretty weak ankles to begin with. And so, you know, I did, um, uh, roll both of my ankles the first day coming out of Campo. Cause actually the, the trail is so smooth that you kind of stop paying attention. And then of course you hit like one little rock and then you just like fall over. So that's basically what happened. Um, whenever I fall, these days, whenever I fall over hiking, it's when I stop paying attention and stop yeah. caring. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, my, it, it probably did set the stage on some level for some foot issues later down the road. But mm-hmm. I, I also think that like, you know, when you reach, when you, <laughs> When you reach, you know, seven, eight, a thousand, eleven hundred miles, there's just some 
chronic issues that you can't get away from. Like really? it's just on some level, there's always going to be some physical exhaustion. So in my case, uh, you know, my ankles, I do think I uh, supinate a little on the left hand side in particular, which is my weaker ankle. Okay. So is that like supinating going is inward so rolling, rolling out? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So pronating is rolling in toward, right. towards the inside of your ankle. So I, I supinated a lot. And I think what ended up happening is... Uh, I gave myself Taylor's bunions, which are bunions oh, bunions on the little toe side, not the big toe side. Huh. So you know, a lot I of people see that. A lot of people think of bunions as just being like a buildup of a callus, but that's actually not what bunions no, are. It's, it's bone, it's, isn't it, or like calcium or something? Well, so your your metatarsals spread apart. So in my case, the pinky started like spreading outward, and then it sort of like juts out, and then at the at the base of your toe, that's where it widens. Um, so I noticed, of course, on my third pair of shoes, I started blowing out the sides of them. And I was like, oh, that's new. And, uh, you know, then I couldn't really tell because, you know, your feet are constantly swollen. Yeah. Um, there's just They're just puffier. Uh, and that happened day in, day out. Um, even if you elevate and even if you soak them in a creek or something, there's always going to be some baseline of swelling so it wasn't until I got home after about a week and the swelling went down I looked at my feet and I was like oh the bone actually is sticking out way more oh yeah so you know my feet are my feet are sore but a lot of that soreness and pain didn't really become apparent until after I stopped walking and right. you actually take a break but I, I don't think it's anything that I is catastrophic like I think I can fix it it's yeah. just uh, you know will require some work and I, I think it my body demonstrated that there is a weakness right because right. all that stuff the dysfunction in your ankle if you supinate that does lead to bunions or conversely if you pronate then you might end up with a bunion on the big toe right. side you know so or, or stress fractures or could be ugh. could be anything you know so so you're planning to go back and finish the trail Yes. So will you, and I'm sure you don't want to talk too much about that. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if it's going to happen this year or yeah. next year or the year after. So um, we'll see. So will you just go into that knowing that you might face this issue or will you spend the time between now and then trying to do some, some training or some, not rehab, but like some, I don't know, I guess like conditioning to, to correct that, yeah. like to get the proper movement or something like yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's pretty clear that there is some level of dysfunction in my ankles. Yeah. So I will probably have to work with my physiotherapist to figure that out. And um, you didn't know about that before? Oh, uh, I, I knew a little bit. I mean, you know, like I had, I had a little bit of Taylor's bunions before, but it never caused me any pain. So it's like, if it's no pain, it's no issue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like after after spending that amount of time on trail with that amount of mileage doing, you know, 20 to 24 miles a day, that's that's what happens, right? It's like your body yeah. your body will tell you when it's not working well. So. Yeah. Any any weakness yeah. <laughs> at all and everyone has something. So yeah. And if it wasn't um, that, you know, it was like people had knee problems, they had ankle problems, you know, they had calf strains, hamstring strains, hip problems. It could have been any number of different things. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Joints, man. It's, it's Nobody just, knows how to roulette. move their body. Yeah. It's <laughs> I don't roulette. Know. You're, yeah. Something is going to fail and then and then you'll have to figure it out. Did you trail. see many people go off trail because of, of um, like stress injuries or um, anything like that? 
Yeah, I mean, certainly I met a lot of hikers who had to, you know, take time off of the trail, especially in the first, you know, within three or four hundred miles. You know, that's usually when like early problems will present themselves. Yeah. And oftentimes it was feet issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 But but I mean, I think a lot of them were indicative of other patterns, right? Like there were problems with their gait and then they exhibited as feet problem. That's what I that's what I'm so worried about leading up like. I'm trying to fix my gait because I know that it's not, it's not very functional. <laughs> I mean, like it gets me through the days, but. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think in the first couple hundred miles, it's like paying really close attention um, to the way you're walking and then concentrating on like your, your movement helps a lot. Like, mm-hmm. so after I rolled my ankles, like I was like, oh, I actually have to think about how I'm walking. Yeah. And then, and then that helped because. It's really about greasing the groove, right? That's what they say about all about all movement. It's like if you want to correct it, you really have to think about, you know, whether it's like developing a good squat or you yeah. know, a good gait. It's really just about practicing and thinking about it. Did you did you make time each day for for like stretching or massaging <laughs> your muscles? Or you, I know you brought your cork ball. Did you use it? <laughs> Honestly, I mean, at first I was like more um, on top of it, but eventually you just get so tired that you're like, oh fuck it, and then you yeah. just go to bed. You know, <laughs> what my like, body needs is sleep. <laughs> I mean, I I would stretch on my you know if I was taking a lunch break or something like that, and 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 also I think like. It's just, it's just like, you'll know, right? If there's something that's really, that needs addressing, you'll just stop and stretch it out for a few minutes. Yeah. So it happens more on a spontaneous, you know, organic kind of level. Once it's already feeling tight and sore. <laughs> I mean, but everything kind of, there's always going to be a baseline of discomfort, right? Yeah. And that's really the truth about, about hiking that kind of distance is like, something is going to hurt. You just mentally have to be able to to deal with it and then also recognizing when something is not just like a baseline mm. level of discomfort right like I think you just have to you have to know your body yeah. to know when something is like seriously wrong how did you deal with um with th- like the sun <laughs> and hydration and things like that because I think like yeah dealing with those dealing with the elements in the desert is something that intimidates a lot of people and certainly intimidates me yeah um how did you yeah how did I saw I think you packed some really special facial sunscreen that yeah, you were, yeah. um well you were extolling. The, the most important way to do that is to get a good start date um, yeah I honestly would not like if you're if you're starting out the first couple weeks that I hiked I was averaging probably like 15 miles a day for the first couple weeks mm-hmm. just a sort of you know, acclimatize. Um, and so if you're going that speed your first couple of weeks, you can't really afford to be starting in May, you know, right. not late May, not middle of May, not even beginning of May, but like really the end of April is sort of your cutoff if you yeah. want to be comfortable. Um, you know, because the water sources start drying up. Um, and even even by the time I got, you know, four or 500 miles in, there were like some water sources at the week prior you know they were already dry so uh that's the easiest way to prevent you know that kind of desert yeah that kind of desert uh, those desert issues but also you know taking siestas like a lot of people (laughs) a lot of people were super resistant to it at first they would try and hike 
you know, from like 1 p.m. until 4 p.m. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. It's- like, it's so... The, it has such diminishing returns, you know, like if <laughs> your pace could be cut in half trying to hike through the hottest part of the day. And then you have to carry so much extra water, which makes you even slower. The heat just kills you. It's like, why not just hide under a bush and take a nap? You know, I and then like, you know, so I would it's funny because you would see people like I would just yo-yo with people like that all day. Right. Yeah. Like, it, they they would pull ahead um, while I was taking siesta, and then I would catch up to them when I started walking again at like three o'clock or three thirty afternoon, and they'd be like exhausted under some tree, being like, "I don't know why I walked through that." Yeah, you know, yeah. like just take the break. That's why you siesta. So did you? I mean, of course, it's going to be different for everybody, but did you find you actually had to carry less water because you were using it more efficiently because you were taking these siestas? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I mean, damn. during a siesta, I would maybe drink, you know. Um, if I was really thirsty, I'd drink like a whole liter, but sometimes it'd be as little as like 500 mils. Damn. You know, as opposed to spending that three hours chugging through like three liters of water. It's like, why? What's the point? Yeah. You know, just yeah. take the break. And this is this is a this is a selfish question because I've been like Googling these things and I'm somewhat um, suspicious, not suspicious because I think they're only like SPF 20. But how did you how did you like your sun hoodie? It was good. Yeah. It was a good system. I mean, it's incredibly windy in the desert. So wearing like a big floppy sun hat for me was not an option. Right. Um, it was so, so windy. Yeah. Like you really need something that's going to stay on your head. Um, right. And you don't have to f- mess with straps. And And you didn't overheat be- like because it was white and it was light and no. it was breezy. I mean, there's an evaporative effect too, right? So yeah. if you if you wet your if you wet your sun hoodie, you know, um, it'll it'll keep you cool. But. Yeah. Also, it's a different kind of heat. It's not like it is here in Ontario where not it's humid. super humid. Yeah. It's a very dry, dry heat. So, you know, the wind helps sort of take away some of the some of the, the heat. Um, but I also like the heat. I actually really love the desert. That's that's my that's my my sort of broad observation is yeah. a lot of people complain about the desert, but it's really beautiful and it's so different. Um I also woke up super early, like there were, by the end of the desert, I was like waking up usually around 4.45 and I would start walking by 5.30. Nice. Um, sometimes even earlier. Uh, and like the the sort of dawn hours in the desert are like the most beautiful. It's really quiet and relatively cool. And you see more animals, you see more birds. They know um, what's up. Yeah, you know, and it's like really quiet. No one else is usually, like, or very few people are on the trail at that time. Like mm-hmm. some people sleep until like seven or eight, which doesn't make any sense to me. Oh my God, my friend Nicole, <laughs> I forget which episode it was that I interviewed her for. I think it was Pits and Bits, but she hiked the PCT a few years ago and she referred to someone sleeping in and she like, she did it so casually, but she was like, you sleep, you sleep until 11 in the afternoon. <laughs> like yeah, that, most people that, would not think of 11 AM as afternoon, but I guess once you've, it is, I mean <laughs> it, the desert, like the, the saying that you have to get 10, 10 miles in before 10 yeah. is really, really important because yeah. after about like 11 o'clock, it becomes really really hot and you can kind of push through it for a couple hours until you take your siesta at like one which is like really really hot Mm -hmm. but 
you know, it's like you're wasting all those hours if you don't take advantage of it. Like, just wake up early. That's yeah. that's the most important advice I have for the desert, actually, is yeah. to wake up early. And, so you know, cowboy camp, stuff. then yes. you have less stuff to pack up. It's, like, the best part about it. Did you find you you cowboy camped more than you pitched your shelter, like, when you were in the desert? Yeah, towards the end. Yeah. 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 The, f- the first couple weeks, I was still kind of nervous, but then once I realized that, like, the scorpions and snakes and stuff like that, they don't really care about you. And yeah. there, there's no flying bugs at night. There's no mosquitoes or anything like that. So it, it was like, once I figured that out and it clicked, I was like, oh, fuck. Like, this is amazing. Yeah. And you see beautiful stuff. Like, the stars are so vividly bright. Like, there was one night camping at Walker Pass where I woke up and I was, like, camping underneath some, like, Joshua trees to kind of shelter me from the wind. But I woke up and there was just, like, like the Joshua tree branches were like framing the Milky Way and it was just like oh. blindingly bright. Like Come I woke on. up and it was so bright. It's it was like someone was shining a flashlight in my eyes. Did you, you know, cry? It I mean I almost did. It was like yeah. really special, you know? And there were a few nights like that where like the stars were so bright, the full moon was so bright that like it's just like a really, really special thing. Yeah. Especially if you you've never been in the desert before. It's like yeah. I love the desert. I mean, a lot of people complained about it, but I was sad to leave it. Really? <laughs> yeah. I, I think I'll love the desert, too. I love the desert in general. I'm just scared of the sun because I'm probably going to get skin cancer. But um, what were people's biggest complaints about the desert? Just, like, the water carries and uh, the heat? The water carries, the heat, the monotony. You know, mm. a lot of people just didn't like the sort of, you know, endless ups and downs mm-hmm. and, like, I mean, there are some parts of the trail where it's like you go in one canyon, you come out and then you do it again and then you come Mm -hmm. out, you know, it's just like it is. You're just kind of snaking your way across this mountain range going in and out, in and out. And it all does kind of look the same. But, um, you know, if you if you wake up early, it makes it easier. Yeah. And you see all sorts of cool stuff. That's that's really cool. And snakes are cool. I really like the rattlers. Oh, man. <laughs> I know. I, li- I was living for your, your videos of the rattlesnakes. I can't wait to yeah. see them. And there were other snakes, too, like lots of uh, gopher snakes, which are, are uh, non-venomous, um, but they're uh, pretty common. There were rosy boas, which are really beautiful. They're kind of oh. like these iridescent pink and yellow snakes that were really pretty. And they're actual boas? Yeah. I mean, I think Ooh. technically they're classified as a boa. Well. That's um, cool. They don't they don't hurt people as far as I know. No, I'm sure they hunt bunnies or yeah. whatever. Um, okay, so like sticking with the desert for now. Uh, okay, so this is a more technical question. So I know it's it's not gonna like get your heart racing or anything like that. But how did you manage um, the first day? Because some I've heard some people say like you have to be willing and prepared to hike 20 kilometers to Lake Morena, or else you're gonna have to carry it a ridiculous amount of water so that you can spend the night. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, was it, I think you didn't hike all the way to Lake Morena the first day, right? No, I did. I did about 17 miles. Okay. So it was almost, it was, it's 20 miles to yeah. Lake Morena. Um, so I did about 17. Um, and so, and yeah, like there, there is, out of water there is the like a 15, there? I think it's a 15 mile water carry. Okay. Which, you know, on your first day seems very daunting but then of course that becomes a nearly everyday occurrence in the desert so uh like yeah I think the bare minimum is yes you do need to be able to hike you know at least 15 miles 
uh, from the outset, but, like, was that even close to the hardest climb coming out of Hauser Canyon towards Lake Morena? No, I think people work it up in their minds. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is just the jitters of starting a big hike. Yeah. You know. Well, and then another another really long day um, that I've heard of is like the the LA Aqueduct. Uh, yeah. I mean, the Aqueduct was. I mean, the, that whole stretch is kind of weird and extremely bizarre and surreal, you know. Because even before you do the Aqueduct, most people either spend the spend a few hours or they spend the night at Hiker Town, which is the most like bizarre and strange place on the planet. Um, <laughs> Just, like, super, super weird. It's, like, a spaghetti western, like, film set. Oh, yeah. But, like, a hostel. And, like, <laughs> they have all these buildings that are, like, built by hand. And they're all themed, like, different things that you would find in a town. Like so, a like, saloon. There was a saloon and, like, a cinema and a hotel. There was a jail. There was, like, the sheriff's station. There was a bank. Um, I rented the room that was the flower shop, which is located... Nice. Located next to the cemetery. Of course. Naturally. Very convenient. Yeah. You know, there's a church. <laughs> and it's just like this guy's little, like, little fiefdom in the desert. Like, this, the owner, <laughs> his name is Richard. And he just, like, decided to build all this stuff out in the middle of nowhere. And it's, like, right on the trail. So, naturally, like, I, I think the story goes is that Richard started building this stuff because he had a, a past in the... Um, he had a background in the film industry. Uh, and so he had like acquired all these props and like weird things and stuff like that. And then he, he had this piece of land and he started building this stuff. And then like, he didn't even realize that like it passes right by the PCT. And then hikers just like started huh. seeing this stuff being like, what the fuck's going on here? And then like showing up and then they'd be like, Oh, well I guess we can host these people. Yeah. <laughs> and then it turned into like this strange hostel, but accidental hiker hostel. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much of this is lore, you know, like there's all these like strange rumors about Hiker Town and there's like hidden cameras and this and that. I don't oh think boy. there's anything like that. It's not creepy. It's just like a very hilarious and <laughs> weird place. That kicks off like a really weird long hike along. Yeah, along yeah. A... So in my case, I woke up at 4 a.m. Um, to start walking across the aqueduct uh, and then after that is the wind farm. Um, well, there's actually two wind farms before you get to Tehachapi. And these are all like waterless stretches. Um, there, there is some water in between there, but it's few and far between. Yeah. So the, the section between um, Hiker Town and uh, Tyler Horse Canyon, which is where a lot of people choose to camp um, after crossing the aqueduct and wind, first wind farm is like a pretty long stretch. I think it's 20... 20 plus miles. I can't remember exactly. I'd have to look in far out again. Yeah. <laughs> hey, go for it. Yeah. I don't mind. Yeah. It's a, but you know, it's like by that point, you're already used to doing carries like that. Um, and again, waking up early means you drink, you have to drink way less water when it's still cool out. Yeah. You know, like I would uh, usually, if I started walking at 5 a.m. before, for the first like three hours, I might go through like one liter or like even 750 mils, you know. So like that's a pretty conservative uh, first like seven or eight miles to get through. Yeah. You know, so you're knocking off like a third of your day 
on like less than a liter of water because Damn. you're not sweating. You're not hot. Like really, seriously, start cool. walking early. It's the best thing you could do if you're doing the PCT. Well, the desert gets so cool overnight yeah. um, and, and in the mornings. Like, yeah, some of the coldest nights I had were were, you know, in the desert. That's so. what I've heard. And so you um you had like a what was it a 10 degree yeah I had enlightened... a 10 degree enlightened equipment uh enigma quilt and that was pretty cozy I was never cold really and you were you were pretty worried about being cold yeah um, I I do sleep cold yeah um I think most people could probably get away with the 20 degree um like you know there were a lot of nights that I was like sleeping in my puffy in merino long johns with the base layer plus my puffy plus the quilt plus sometimes I had booties on yeah um socks you know I had a buff around my head and I and I was pretty warm okay yeah so you managed to sleep through the night you were able to be comfortable I would rather be too warm than too cold you know yeah well but I mean you um it's like a real concern for you though uh because because of of my my poor circulation of my toes yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. I have like uh what they call chill blains which is like um, it can happen, especially if you have a long history of like mild frostbite, which is basically like your circulation to your toes just is very poor. And so you can get like numbness and itchiness and like tingling and pain. So I try to avoid at all costs my feet getting cold because yeah. that's what happens. Um, yeah, that's that's uh, that's pretty nuts. And so um, how about the Sierra? Like, how did did that like meet your expectations? Exceed them? Fall short? No. Oh. Like, and you did you did the whole thing, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh really beautiful. I think there's sort of a balance of like um not trying to overexert yourself because you really should try to enjoy it. Um, my mileage definitely dipped. Like I was doing, you know, 23, 24 miles a day going into Kennedy Meadows. Um, and then I decided, I made a very conscious choice to like scale it back to like 17 or 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of that is dictated by the passes, right? Like you, to a certain extent, you have to time your climbs over the passes according to the weather or the time of the right. day. You don't want to be up at a, at a high elevation, like in the middle of the afternoon when a thunderstorm might roll in kind of thing? Um, yeah, there is that. Uh, and also, you know, the snow is firmer early in the morning. So oh, you right. want to get you want to get a pass done with, like, if, if there's of a course. lot of snow, which in my case, uh, like, it, it turned out to be a fairly um, mild snow year in the Sierras by the mm-hmm. time I got there. Um, I think I arrived at Kennedy Meadows on June June 7th or 6th or something, um, which is, you know, a week before Ray Day, um, which, of course, is a day that Ray Jardine says is, like, June 15th is the ideal day to begin hiking in the Sierras. Okay. Um, like, not earlier, not later? Well, I mean, he says that as, like, the ideal day to not really have snow be an issue. Okay. Right? Okay. So that's different from saying, is it safe to enter? Because right. certainly lots of people entered the Sierra well before that. Um, but you know, like I, I carried my micro spikes, uh, all the way to mammoth when I finally mailed them home, but I didn't have to use them even once. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I, I got really lucky. And of course, you know, 
when I got off in Tahoe, you know, it wasn't even like two weeks later that like all these crazy fires started. And so yeah. now basically all of Oregon is on fire. Um, and most of the hikers have had to skip the entire state. Like yeah. th- these are people that I made friends with. So I can see on Instagram that they've all had to skip yeah. to Washington essentially. Yeah. It seems like eventually <laughs> no one will be able to just do a continuous hike. Yeah. I mean, already people yeah. are who were very determined to do it are, are having to skip sections. So, I mean, um, you know, I, it's hard for me to say because I am clearly not doing a continuous footpath in one calendar year. Like, that that from the outset was not you know my plan right um, but uh it is it's heartbreaking um it's heartbreaking to see so much of california burned right yeah. like there were lots of burn sections that i walked through that you know um some were from as recent as 2020 uh i think that was from the bobcat fire which mm-hmm. is right near los angeles uh or in the Angeles National Forest, so not far from there. Um, and then, you know, there were older ones, like the Station Fire, which was from 2009. And, right. Uh, two firefighters died in that fire. Um, and you can see even, you know, that many years later, like 13 years later, the the way that the land recovers, it will never be the same for many, many years. Like, it'll take, you know another couple generations before yeah. it's back to being like old growth pine forest or it might never be yeah you know like yeah. the 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 climate in california is changing so quickly that it might never go back to that right so uh i think underpinning the entire hike is like sort of a sense of like you know you're on borrowed time mm-hmm. uh as the climate changes mm-hmm. you know and it's it's, it's so very sad, sad to but see. True. It is. It's really sad. And so, yeah. if you get the chance, you should do it. I know it's selfish, but like, you know, it's a magnificent hike. Yeah, it really is. And and the, the Sierras, of course, is amazing. Um, yeah. To get back to your original question, mm-hmm. well, the scale of things just seems so hard. And I remember this from from being in Death Valley. Like, things are so much bigger there than I'm used to here in Ontario that like my brain and my eyes can't really register the size and the scale of of the landscape yeah like yeah um question okay so another sort of like boring logistical question but did you how did you handle your okay I'm guessing you had an ice axe no no you just didn't no I, I figured if I needed one, I could buy one in Kennedy Meadows, but there, right. was, there was absolutely no need. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then, absolutely no need. And what about your bear canister? Did you just wait until you... Well, yeah. Did, well, no, you, you have to carry a bear canister. No, so no, I, I had that rented. You, oh, you rented it. Okay. Yeah, so you can you can reserve a rental at Triple Crown, okay. um, which is what I did. Okay. Yeah. But uh, I would also say that like right after I got out of um, the Sierra... Uh, now they've mandated yeah, that you have to so carry Yeah, so the it. Desolation Wilderness, like, implemented mandatory bear cans. So when I finish the hike, whenever that is, I'll mm-hmm. have to carry one at the beginning yeah. to get through there. Um, but it's not even about regulations, like, what's mandatory and what isn't. I think it is just a good idea to carry a bear can. There are a lot of bears there. Yeah. Um, I didn't see any, but a lot of people, uh, I heard stories about getting their bear hangs torn down or otherwise having 
like just being fucked with yeah. bears, right? The especially in Tahoe, they don't care. They are not afraid of you. Yeah. They're probably <laughs> just so familiarized or whatever. They just have zero fear. They <laughs> they know that hikers will pose no threat. You yeah. know? So the only thing you can do is to outwit them by having cans that require <laughs> like opposable thumbs to open. Yeah. You know, there's no other way around it. It's not like it's not like what the, you know, park service demands of you. It's just like a common sense thing. If you don't want to have to hike out three days with no food yeah. or it's all turned into bear mash <laughs> or saliva. Which happens with the ursac, I've heard. It does happen. It happens with the ursac here in Ontario, yeah. all across Canada as well, right? Like the question is really just a common sense one. It's not about what's mandated. It's just like, are there a lot of bears and do they care you know, if you're yelling and throwing rocks at them, the answer is no. So you should well, carry a bear can. Like bears in the Adirondacks. Okay, so in the Adirondacks, you can't even use a bear vault because they figured those out. Like what What did? What were the rentals at? Uh... Oh, it was, I mean, everyone who was renting was carrying a bear vault. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, uh, there's very solid cans. I mean, I think with with California black bears, they haven't figured it they out haven't yet. figured it out yet. No, no. <laughs> okay, well that's that's helpful. It, except for that one that like knocks it off a cliff, but I think that's like <laughs> that's like just one bear. That's why you tie it. Did you just tie yours to a tree or something? No, you just leave it like away from your oh, okay. campsite. That's cool. Yeah, All like right. at the base of a tree or something. That's that's pretty chill. Yeah. Um. I I mean I I probably will buy one soon. I think it's just an easier way to take care of your food. Yeah, you Um, wouldn't just keep renting it. Did you, yeah, how much did it, can I ask, like, how much did it cost you to rent a bear uh, can for the time that you needed it? I think it's like a $40 deposit and then, like, another, like, 40, 50 bucks maybe. It's, like, slightly less than buying one. But then you don't have to worry about getting it to and from Canada and, like, carrying it. Yeah, you don't have to mail it back, right? So, you know, that all has to factor into your your cost equation. Um, Had I known, like, well, if I had known that the Desolation Wilderness was going to require it and I was going to continue hiking past Tahoe, then, yeah, I probably would have bought one from the outset. Yeah. 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 Whatever. But I, I think I might buy one anyway because I'm we're doing a trip to Rocky Mountain National Park. Nice. So and they require bear cans. So I was like, ah, I should have just bought one. This is stupid. Yeah, like what is it? <laughs> what's it like being post trail? Like, do you have do you have the post trail blues? Do you feel the need to be planning your next adventure? To be like out in the mountains again? Uh, well, you know what they say about through hiking that it ruins your life. I think it really does on some level. Oh. Like it, it kind of breaks your brain because you you realize like, oh, everything else is just kind of bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I could, if I could spend every summer hiking a new long trail, that I would be ecstatic. Like that, that's a dream, right? Like, and some people manage to pull it off. Um, you know, I, I'm working towards that. Yeah, I mean. Yes, like in the sense that like everyone wants to be able to balance their yeah. work lives and their, you know, personal lives to a greater extent. Like I, I think that's the one thing the pandemic taught everyone, right? Yeah. Which is that we work too much. Um, and certainly almost everyone on the trail kind of had a similar story, right? Like everyone had to quit their job or take a leave in order to, to hike it. Um but there's a difference between saying like I'm gonna I'm going to shift my priorities and I'm gonna have a better work life balance and saying I'm gonna hike I want to hike long trails every summer like that's that's pretty big that's pretty specific and exciting 
I can say so. Yeah, or I mean, if not a long trail, then, you know, at least just to like do sort of like very long term, yeah. you know, road trips or, uh, you know. No more weekend warrior bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think immersing yourself in the outdoors is like a very different experience. Like when yeah. you don't have to worry about, like even a week long trip. It's like you're always just worrying about, oh, what day am I going to get back to the parking lot? Oh, you know, like, oh, what's what next week going to look like when I have to go back to work? You yeah. Know? Um, making sure you're on schedule, like even like having to worry about making it to your next campsite that you have planned, whether it's because it's booked and you have to be at that site yeah. or it's just like that's your itinerary. Like when you when you don't have to f- worry about that and you free yourself from those constraints, like that's when you can actually like really enjoy what you're doing, right? Like it just becomes more about the rhythm of like, you know, going as far as you can and really listening to your body. And like if you decide you come across a spot, you're like, oh, it's really beautiful here. I want to camp. You yeah. can choose to do that. Yeah. You know, well, or like, oh, I feel good today. I'm going to go another three miles because I still have some energy. Right. Yeah. yeah. So so how much of I mean, you had to have had some kind of a loose itinerary just because you were, you know, like you had resupply boxes. I think you had a couple of resupply boxes um, waiting for you at, at some places. So like, yeah, what kind of a how how much of an itinerary did you follow? Well, I mean, I think whether you're doing the whole trail or just, a, you know, a really long section, um, you have to know at minimum what your mileage has to be in order to complete it on time. Yeah. Um, and everyone should know that number before you start, right? Yeah. So, uh, like, the there's, a like, a website where you can punch in your start date and stuff like that, and it'll spit out what your average mileage will be. Yeah. Um, start date and end date. Or, you know, how many how many miles you want to accomplish, and then it'll tell you, you know, what day you're estimated to finish. And it's important to keep those big goals in mind, um, you know, whether it's, like, because you already have a flight booked or because you need to make it to Washington before the snow. Right. Uh, you know, all that's important. But, you know, like, don't send boxes. Um, the only place... The only place you really need to send a box is like maybe Kennedy Meadows South because hmm. uh, you might need extra clothing right. or specific equipment. Um, and I've then heard, also like, also maybe, uh, yeah, like Washington for sure. But the the thing to remember about that is you re- you can resupply from when you're on trail, right? right? So you, you, like, you don't have to worry about that until you're closer because you don't know what date you're going to get there. Like, That's true, yeah. You don't need to prep a box for Washington like three or four months ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's lunacy. Like, first of all, there's so many things that I packed in the resupply box or conversely didn't pack that I was like, fuck, I wish I had sent myself that. Like, you just have no idea what you were doing when you packed the stuff like yeah, in March or April. Like, you have no idea what you're doing. You don't know what you're going to need. Like, it's so stupid. It's a waste of money in, in so many ways. Like, unless you have extreme limitations or requirements like medication or you're like vegan or like you know something specific like that don't worry about it the the only two things that i i thought were worthwhile sending to myself well three things one was um my sunscreen Mm -hmm. 
for Your my special face. Korean sunscreen. Yeah, my 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 very fancy Japanese. Sunscreen. Oh, Japanese. I'm yeah. sorry. I thought you said it was Korean. Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, the Korean stuff's really good too. Yeah, uh, but yeah, like a really good sunscreen because it's hard to find that on trail when you're at like a CVS or a Vons or whatever. But th- that's just me because I'm a son of skincare. I am too, you know, so I need, I need you to drop your sunscreen routine. <laughs> um, and then uh, the other thing was dog poo bags, which you have to use to pack out your toilet paper. So you have to make sure you have enough for your resupply. But again, you can even buy those on trail. Yeah. It's just more economical because I already have a dog. Right. <laughs> um, and then the last thing that I thought that was useful uh, was um, I dehydrated vegetables for myself. So like a lot of kale. And stuff like that. And that, that actually was nice because it makes your meals less terrible. Um, and you can you can pretend you're being kind of healthy. <laughs> but, you know, like most of it, you can just resupply from when you're on trail and send boxes down trail. Yeah. You know, or like you'll find most of it in a hiker box. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Well, and then I feel like if you're hitting towns often enough, like, do you, do you always necessarily need to try to have vegetables with? your food on trail like no it's just enough? a thing that just a thing that I personally enjoyed um I have like bags of freeze-dried broccoli and asparagus yeah in my closet yeah. for that reason and you know the the fiber is important to have too oh um, true yeah true um okay so like I guess talking about itineraries and and uh and like your plan for next year okay so so you got off at Lake Tahoe was it always your plan to get off there? Or did you kind of just decide at some point, like based on your mileage and your timing and everything, um, that that was where you would finish up? Uh, no, that was the plan. Yeah. yeah. I had I already had my flight booked out of Reno. So there's a shuttle that can take you from Tahoe to Reno. Okay. So I knew that was my end destination. Um, and uh, like I, you know, in the first... The first, like, month, I just hiked according to how I felt. Yeah. And then, of course, like, I always knew that my number was, like, every day I had to hike an average of 18 miles mm-hmm. overall. Um, and so, you know, I started slow, but then I was able to ramp up my mileage. But, you know, once you take zeros and you account for, like, especially in the Sierras, it takes almost, like, a whole day to get off trail to Bishop and then back right. on. So, you know, once I started uh, getting, like, through the Sierras, I had a pretty good idea of, like, whether I was going to make it. Right. Yeah. Right. So so then you can, you can like, adjust your mileage accordingly. Did you have a return flight booked? Oh, yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I knew. I, I knew when I had to be back, though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, that was, and, and so I'd set that date according to saying, oh, I have to do 18 miles a day, and that seems mm. doable. Okay. And did you, did you pick that date because like you had like, you had obligations back, back here, like with, yeah. with Stunton or yeah. whatever? Just, oh, okay, just with okay. my life. You just know? with your life. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Did you find a lot of people um, who were either lashing or doing, well, I mean, I guess if you're doing the full trail, you probably won't book your flight, but like, did you find a lot of people had their return flights booked? Mm. Or was it a mix? No, it was a mix. I mean, I didn't meet a lot of people who were doing sections as long as mine okay like a lot of people did like you know um 700 miles or they might do 200 right. at a time or something but like i didn't meet anyone who was doing like basically half the trail huh yeah. i'm surprised i would have thought i don't know i would have I thought mean, it would be more common you know i it's or i'm sure again, they're out there <laughs> it's a different it's a different situation for me because i'm essentially self-employed and 
like yeah it's like I can come back and finish it another year so it's not like I have to explode my entire life in order to make it happen again it's true whereas most people don't have that luxury right so it's a very unique situation but I I do think that as someone who is like I'm 36 you know, my body is only going to get more decrepit from here on out. <laughs> it's kind of nice to be able to to, to break it up. One, because it is really hard to hike yeah. <clears throat> 2,600 miles in one shot. Uh, and, you know, as I've demonstrated, even with a lot of preparation and like, you know, I've had lots of experience walking. Yeah. I, I There were still, you know, some sort of long-term you know, uh, injuries that can come up or changes to your body or just like stress that can happen to your body where it's like... The whole thing seems extremely stressful, like physically stressful. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It's it's a really uh, like... On one level, it's a hard thing to do, but also it's a very easy thing to do. Yeah. all you have to do is walk. Yeah, yeah. Right, but like it it is is physically very taxing. Yeah. So, So then when you eventually get back on... So did you finish... From what I understand... You cannot get back on the trail in the middle of a section. You have to start at the beginning of a section? No. Oh, okay. Um, You Or like if you get a permit, like the permit has to be for like the beginning of a section? Well, when you you apply for the permit, you have to declare where you're going to start. And so by the book, you know, if you say I'm starting in Campo, yes, you have to start in Campo. Yeah. Um, The the one restriction is that like you have 35 days to get through the Sierra Mm -hmm. and it has to be a continuous trip. Like you can't, you can't leave the trail for an extended period of time and then go back. Yeah. Like obviously resupplying is fine, but I mean, you know, they're saying like you can't flip flop and then come back in the middle of the Sierra or anything like that. Right. Right. Um, But you know, the also one of the reasons logistically why, I wanted to get through the Sierra, aside from it being spectacular and some of the most incredible hiking on the planet, is also that, like, once I finished with the Sierra, the hardest, most coveted part of the trail is done with. So I, if I if I choose to uh, apply for a permit in the fall for next year to finish up, there are, um, as of right now, there's no limits on Mm. how many people can start northbound north of sonora pass Mm. right so so it's much easier to get a permit you're not you're not competing right thousands of other people trying to go northbound right right so one of the other things i'm also considering is that i might apply for a southbound permit Mm -hmm. so then i can get washington when the wildflowers are still blooming um although there might be more snow so that's a downside um But also, uh, it's less likely that Oregon will be on fire. Um, and also, uh, if I go southbound, I could, if I felt like it, I could go through the Sierra again. Hey, yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of like the best of both worlds. Did you but, love it that much? I mean, yes. Yes, yeah. it's incredible hiking. It's really, I mean, there's no words to describe how beautiful it is. Okay, Sierra you know? or desert? They're just very different. I mean, obviously. But you have to pick one. Obviously, most people are going to say the Sierra, but I, I think the desert is just underrated. Yeah, right? okay, A lot of people okay. just crap on it, but it's I, I thought it was really cool. Okay, that's yeah. fair. So yeah. by a narrow margin, the by Sierra? By a narrow margin, the Sierra. Okay, sure. okay, that's fair. <laughs> I, sorry, I forced you to pick. 
Um, and uh, again, I say all this without having finished the entire trail, right? Like some people really love Washington. For sure. So I know somebody who said Washington was their favorite section, actually. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, ask me again when I finish. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, but between, but you've done the desert in the Sierra, yeah. but yeah, no, it's fair. You need the, you need the perspective of the whole thing. Um, okay. A couple boring logistical questions. I'm just going to like rapid fire these. How did you manage travel insurance? Um, I used uh, Tugo, okay. like T-U-G-O, which okay. is a Canadian oh. uh, insurance company. And they, they mostly do uh, travel insurance. It's underwritten by one of the bigger companies, but um, it was the only one that I could find uh, available in Canada to Canadians that covered the uh, elevations that you would be climbing this year mm. um, for not an exorbitant price. So yeah, I've heard that's really hard. It is. And and the thing too is this like uh, altitude sickness is real. Yes. Um, there was a woman who uh, died uh, on top of Forrester. I know. Like a week or two before I got to that point. So like you really can't fuck around. Like and the thing about it, too, is, is if you've never been at 14,000 feet, which I had not until this trip, you don't know how your body's going to react. Like, yeah. all the science shows that, like, altitude sickness is not really in any relation to your physical fitness. It could be genetic. It could be totally random. If you've never been at those altitudes, you just don't know if it's going to affect you or not. Yeah. Like, for me, it exhibited mostly it's just feeling kind of like... I was in a fishbowl. Hmm. Like, it felt like I was drunk, right? Like, things were kind of, like, moving. Like, I was in a lava lamp or Whoa. something like that. Um, and it was actually very similar to what I've experienced um, doing deep dives, like scuba diving. Uh, so, like, narcosis. Um, it's it's It felt very, very similar to that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was, like, laughing. I was very lethargic and tired. It felt really, really hard climbing up Whitney. But that was the extent of it. But you don't know. Like, you could end up with, like, really serious um, symptoms. And you might have to be medevaced oh out. If you don't yeah. know the symptoms, you know, you could end up dying. Yeah. So it's not something you want to mess around with. Um, so it is important that you get insurance to cover you for those altitudes. Like, you shouldn't just be like, you know, oh, this one's, like, $300 cheaper. I'll just go with that. Yeah. If it doesn't cover you for those elevations. Like, right. I, I can't stress that enough. Like, it actually, I think it rattled a lot of people who heard about it. Because that girl was really young. Um, she was young and she was fit and she was with a group of people. She yeah. wasn't alone, you know. Yeah. Like, even when she died, she was surrounded by her trail family. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I was I was rattled. I was worried. I, I don't think I did it because I didn't want to seem, like, um, patronizing. But I almost sent you a message and was like hey like make sure you know the signs of, yeah. of altitude yeah. sickness. and you should know the signs right it's like yeah. blue lips um uh tiredness even when um at rest mm. uh That's you know me difficulty, every day. <laughs> difficulty breathing vomiting yeah. uh, severe headache you know those are just some of the symptoms so like you really should be able to watch for it um, and if it happens, like you have to get down to a lower altitude or like hit the SOS button. Like there's right. no shame in being like, if you are not physically able to evacuate yourself, you should hit the button. Yeah. Did you, did you acclimatize at all? Like, did you make stops? Like, did you spend a little extra time at certain points on your way up? 
to um, Forrester? Well, I mean, the, the first the first week or so, uh, the first like five days leading up to Whitney, you're you're climbing from Kennedy Meadows steadily upwards, mm-hmm. right? So that is your acclimatization. Um, like you know, you're getting higher and higher for several days leading up to that. Um, the night before, I had stayed at Chicken Spring Lake, which I think is at ten thousand feet. And then Crabtree Meadow is at like, you know, 10,000 plus. Mm-hmm. So that is your acclimatization. If right. you camp there the night before, then you should be okay. But I've heard too, like, if you're not okay, you can always just go back down and spend a little more time at one of these places and then like kind of like try again or. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you're supposed to, you're supposed to hike high and then sleep low, right? Because oh. sleeping low allows your body to um, recover with like higher oxygen um levels uh i mean i don't really know the science of it right um but you know certainly just in terms of like working up to that kind of elevation um and then also those kinds of climbs like going northbound from kennedy meadows is like you know that's the way you acclimatize yeah basically and this is a bit of a tangent because I had more boring technical questions for you, but um, did you, did you, how did you find some of the water crossings in the Sierra? I know it was like a little bit of a lower oh, snow year by yeah, the time you was, were there. It but was, it was quite, oh, it was quite mellow. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, so you weren't sure. stuck like waiting on a, on a bank for other people to come along so that no. you could, okay. No, I mean, I, there, there were only two crossings where I kept my shoes on and like, it was like, oh, I have to just walk through this. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the other ones I basically rock upped. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, wow. That yeah, but it was very mellow. It was like up to my knees, basically. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It, I mean, so uh, no, that's not to discount the fact that like other years it can be really bad, and people yeah. again have died. Have so died. you should practice extreme caution. But when I got to Evolution Creek, for example, it was super mellow. Yeah. Yeah. It was like just a lazy river, basically. Every year has its hazards. If it's not if it's not snow and high water, it's like heat and yeah, and, and fires, stuff. right? And fires. You know, like um, it's only because I got off that I am not trying to detour around, you know, a massive series of fires. But again, everyone that I know that's hiking right now, like they they got caught in Sayod Valley as the fires were starting, and yeah. they had to hike out in the middle of the night, or like they had to be rescued by search and rescue off Jesus. of forced road like you know you just don't know i think anything can happen um yeah i think i saw people last year were wearing their were wearing like kn95 like like covid masks yeah. in in areas that had a lot of um particulate matter from the fires yeah, yeah. Did you, i mean you shouldn't try and hike through that stuff it's really no. bad for your lungs did you um speaking of covid masks did you how did you experience covid19 on the pct <laughs> Um, well, you know, according to a lot of Americans, COVID doesn't exist anymore. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, it, I don't know. It's it's weird because you're kind of like, you just do what everyone else does, right? It's kind of like human nature. If yeah. no one's wearing a mask, you're going to feel weird about wearing a mask. And so you'd walk into a grocery store and if no one's wearing a mask, it's, you just become sort of lazy, right? Even if intellectually, you know, you should be wearing one. Mm-hmm. And certainly there were some towns where if I knew that there was a spike in COVID in that particular place and I'd walk into a grocery store and there were lots of like older folks around, I would mask up. Yeah. So So you carried a mask. Yes, I did carry a mask. And um, 
honestly, for a lot of like the busier grocery stores or like towns where I knew that there were more vulnerable populations, I did wear a mask yeah. because you want to be conscious and respectful uh, of the locals. Yeah. Um, and yes, in a perfect world, you should mask up all the time. Um, <laughs> uh, right as I was getting off, like uh, sort of like between Mammoth and Tahoe, a lot of hikers started getting sick with COVID oh actually. Uh, and so I think I just missed a kind of like local wave of COVID, if not within the hiker population, then just in that part of California. Yeah. Um, but it remains to be seen whether you can actually catch COVID. Yeah. Because <laughs> you haven't yet. And it's not like you've, I mean, you've. Well, I, I mean, I had COVID in December. Oh, wait, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. And, and then, we and, then yeah. and then my boyfriend caught COVID the right. week before I was supposed to leave for the trails. But then I, I didn't get sick from him. Um, huh. And then I walked all through California without getting COVID. Without getting it. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. Maybe I'm just super immune now. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, I have to say in defense, in defense of the Americans, uh, People have mostly given up on masking here too. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. I think even it's though a universal thing. It's a, yeah. I mean, we might have been better about wearing masks throughout the pandemic than the Americans, but we certainly uh, are ready to pretend that it's not happening anymore. Yeah. And I say that as somebody who now forgets to bring a mask often when I leave the house. So yeah. I, I, I think in general, um, to avoid getting sick on trail. You know, the, the bigger concerns, honestly, even more than COVID, is, like, either Giardia mm -hmm. or Noro. And I met plenty of hikers who caught, you know, both of those things. Um, and in some cases, you know, like, I met a whole trail family where they probably all had COVID. Uh, mm. And it's because they were all traveling together and sharing right. food and, you know, sharing snacks and reaching into the same chip bags and sleeping next to each other and stuff. The best way to not get sick on trail is to not hike with other people. Yeah. Which, again, brings me back to my earlier point about just, like, being on your own. One, it's probably cleaner for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, also, like, uh, there's a lot of communicable diseases, right? People are yeah. in really close quarters and they're not practicing good hygiene. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a euphemism for... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> For what? People, People raw-dogging it? Uh, well, I mean, there there was some of that. You know, I, if I was single on trail, I'm sure it would be a different story. Mm -hmm. um, you know, certainly I met a few sort of couples that had formed on trail. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. Um, but but more the more present threat, honestly, is like if you share a lot of food and you're touching each other's stuff and you're always like sharing hotel rooms and stuff like that um and not really washing your hands uh that you're gonna Too get dropping. sick with something yeah you know yeah that's that's fair there's a lot of i feel like there's more hand poop interaction on the trail than there is in your yeah. daily life um yeah, yeah. always okay. wash your hands or use hand sanitizer after you poop yeah for sure yeah um Okay, I only have a couple more logistical questions. Did you? How did you manage a phone plan? Did you just buy a U.S. plan? Did you? What did you do? Yeah, I just bought a forty-five dollar AT and T prepaid plan, and you just used it with the phone you had already. Yep. So did you just do that once you were there? Like you just like you got to San Diego, you took out your 
Yeah. SIM, or whatever, your SIM card. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, so I stayed, when I when I got to San Diego, I stayed um, two nights with uh, Scout and Frodo, yes. which was a very special experience. <sighs> um, and they, they've they retired from trail angeling now. I, I mean, at least hosting in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really cool to be able to meet them and spend a lot of time talking with them. And um, it's, it's really strange because, you know, you meet these people who refuse to take your money. They don't mm. take donations. They do it out of the kindness of their heart and for their enthusiasm for both the PCT and also for trail hiking, like the culture in general. Yeah. Um, And this all happens before you even step foot on the trail. So it's extremely overwhelming and like confusing that anyone would choose to do this. And then also like there's hikers who have stayed with Scout and Frodo in past years and they all come to volunteer and help out and like... You're like, why are all these people doing this for nothing? <laughs> it's like insane. Like yeah. they won't even take a $20 bill. And it's it sets the stage for what you're in for on the PCT, which is that a lot of people are just really kind, right? So, yeah. you know, when you're asking, you know, what is it like meeting Trump supporters on trail or uh, military veterans or um, retired cops you know, all these people that you would otherwise, I otherwise would not have any interactions with um, in my life. And the reason why you have to be open to it is because everyone is approaching through hiking with the same spirit of enthusiasm and openness, right? So there's no reason why you should close yourself off to that. You know, you know, for someone who had spent several years really burnt out on their job, it's a very, um, uh, it's, it's an experience that will like sort of heal you in that regard. Mm -hmm. Um, I certainly come out of this feeling less cynical and less pessimistic about humanity and other people. I feel like Um, a lot of journalists could use two and a half, three months on the PCT. Exactly. You know, and I mean, it's, it's not an over-exaggeration to say that it sort of restores your faith in humanity in that regard. Right. Yeah. It doesn't solve all problems, but at least on a personal level, you can like just learn about other people's perspectives and see where they're coming from. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, um, it's uh, it only takes it only takes so many I don't know so many interactions with somebody that you wouldn't imagine getting along well with, and and it being like polite and and I don't know cordial or whatever, and and realizing that you have common, you know, some common interest to realize that, um, like you can, you can like people on a personal level while not liking humanity. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's a complicated thing, right? Cause yeah. like, it's not that I think now after meeting people like that, that like, oh, uh, you know, um, I think Trump's a better person or like, <laughs> oh, I think that his policies make more sense or I don't think no, that like. that's not what I'm saying. I, I don't think that like, oh, uh, you know, maybe policing isn't so bad and it doesn't need reform. Like none of my core opinions have changed, mm-hmm. but at least you can just understand where other people are coming from. Yeah. Right. Because on an individual level, like. 
it's not even that. Like, just to know where they're coming from. Like, what it is that drives someone's personal beliefs. Like, it's just good to get insight into that. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that it has any more validity or that it uh, has changed my views personally. But it is just good to see where other people are coming from. Right? You hear them out in their own words. And whether it makes sense to you or not, at least you heard it from the horse's mouth. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's fair. You you said in one of your Instagram posts that that uh, some folks in towns like Big Bear had this notion that a lot of the through hikers were being bankrolled by their parents, uh, which yeah. brings me to the question: <laughs> How much money does a young Canadian person need to set aside for? three months on the PCT if uh (laughs) um I honestly I haven't even sat down to do the math one because I'm like afraid to look at my visa bill um (laughs) and honestly the 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 biggest shock of hiking on the PCT and also being in the states for that amount of time in general is actually that their food costs are incredibly high uh resupplies were a lot more expensive than I thought they were gonna be um you know like I would walk out of Vons which is like one of the major grocery chains uh with like a bill usually about a hundred dollars almost u.s jesus you know and that that was like pretty heavy on like bars but also like you know you would try and buy ramen or like you know nor rice packages and stuff like that so it wasn't like i was buying super expensive stuff like and that's what like five days of food yeah be you know a five days resupply oh, God. so um it's just a lot like I, I think it tells you a lot about the sort of economic stresses that your average american is under yeah. um and you know uh, frankly uh experiencing that for like two and a half months should should uh is enough to to make anyone want to um you know stage a class revolt uh, for sure or <laughs> Mass you know strike. to to sharpen their guillotines <laughs> <laughs> you know or like foment a revolution or whatever but you know it's like well, one you're in small towns um but yeah. even at the big grocery stores it was not really that much cheaper right so but Gwyneth Paltrow says that you can feed a whole family on $20 a week no that's not true Certainly not on trail. And, you know, also you're just eating a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Your hunger definitely ramps up. Um, yeah. But but it's it is really expensive and like food costs are going up. Uh, the price of gas is astronomical. Oh, so, God. you know, if you're getting a ride from a trail angel or hitching a ride or something like, man, just throw that person a 20. That's like the least you could do. The least. That's true. Inflation's really high this year, like 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 historically high. And you that's sort of the I mean, not to just <laughs> hello Otis. Yeah. Not to just uh, you know, like make it about the hikers, but still like that's the environment that that you were all hiking in. So, yeah. And yeah. I, I think part of being a good hiker is like also being a good citizen, right? Like it's just being a good human being. Like yeah. you have to understand that like anyone who anyone who's kind enough to stop for you, they deserve to be compensated for their time. Yeah. Um and hikers are not special. I met and saw a lot of Facebook posts, especially of people like very entitled asking for rides, absurdly long distances, 
Uh, and then being like, oh, I'll pay for your gas. It's like, no, you got to pay for that person's time, too. It's probably going to take like five hours out of their day to drive you around. Like, But I'm a through hiker. I'm working so yeah, hard and I've so waited entitled. so long to do this. The, the, the one thing I would say about through hiking is you're not special, right? Like it's it's hard on you physically, but yeah. it is not a hard thing to do. Anyone yeah. could do it, right? You're not special just because you chose to quit your job and then spend a lot of money doing this mm-hmm. um no one owes you anything um i think that to some extent the trail being as popular as it is has created this sort of like pipeline this like conveyor belt of like hiker amenities right like i met i met quite a few hikers who um were doing sections or maybe had done it um several years prior and we're revisiting sections of the trail or maybe doing the whole thing again and yeah i always was curious to know what was the biggest changes they'd seen and like almost all of them said like hikers are more entitled mm-hmm. you know and part of that is one the economic pressures right like maybe not thinking that like oh a trail angel probably has to fill their gas tank or like oh this takes time and money to drive someone somewhere um, so just be, just be aware of that, you know, it's a privilege. And if you can, if you can afford to do a through hike, you can, af- you, you can afford to pay someone for their time to and pay to do the through hike. Yeah. And if you can't do that, then you don't have enough money for a through hike. Yeah. You know, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty like, like adamant in this regard is like, you have to treat people fairly because okay. they don't owe you anything. You know, you may have some Jesus complex about hiking, but like no one owes you that. <laughs> no, for sure. And I feel like there, I don't know. Yeah, there seems to be, and maybe because um, information about the, the hike is is so um, accessible on, on Facebook and Reddit on, and on Instagram that people feel like, you know, because getting to the trail is, is pretty easy and like planning it all out and watching YouTube videos that that you can kind of just like wing it once you're there and people will help you and the trail will provide. But you actually, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it can work that way, I guess, if you take advantage of enough people and they're nice enough to do things for you. But, you know, yeah, I mean, trail magic, it's called trail magic because it has to be magical, right? It has to come at the most (laughs) unexpected times. If you're constantly expecting things to happen for you, it's not magical anymore. Yeah. You know? Yeah. (laughs) So that's, yeah, I mean, and I, man, I think some of this is generational too. Cause some of the younger hikers I met, like, just so helpless. Oh, uh, how do I get here? Uh, if you were at the cycle Rome to Rio, it'll really, literally map out any route for you to get from point A to point B. What? Rome to Rio? Have you never heard of this? Maybe. Oh, I it's don't an know. amazing tool for all travelers. Oh yeah, no, they tell you how to use like transit in different countries and yes. stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have seen you know, that. It'll, and it'll, I've used it. it'll combine every form of transportation. It'll even like include walking, you know, yeah. to get you from point A to point B. So it'll be like take a cab here, then you get on a plane, then you take a bus, and yeah. then you walk the last five hundred yeah. feet. You know, like, I have seen it. Yeah, I haven't had to use it much. So how did you get to like to and from towns in the trail? Um, like were you were you um yeah like I guess not using but like uh utilizing local people who would drive hikers but and paying them fairly or were you using a lot of like taxis or buses or just walking into towns uh it was was a combination I mean some trail towns have more kind of like built-in infrastructure than Mm -hmm. others like you know for example in Julian it's super easy once you get to Scissors Crossing to get a hitch 
Um, in my case, I just kind of tagged along with a couple who had already called the Trail Angel. And, oh, then, nice. and then I just got in the car with them and I gave them a 20. <laughs> um, and then on the way back to Trail, there was a guy who basically waits outside of Two Foot Adventures, which is the outfitter there. And he just drives people. And again, you know, I paid him 10 bucks or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, to take me back. Uh, in, in the cases of a lot of towns, um, like, uh, Mammoth and Tahoe, you know, they have, uh, free public buses mm. that will take you to and from wow. basically anywhere, uh, all through town. Damn. So, and, and they do that because those towns are built on tourist traffic, right? Not just right. PCT traffic, but all sorts of tourist traffic. So. It's- it's it makes sense for them to make it easy for people to get around. Yeah, it's it's not for the local low income folks. It's for the well, no, it, it is. You know, yeah, like okay. you know, especially in uh, in in Mammoth, there were a lot of folks who were using it to get to and from their jobs mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Okay, so you know, it's it's a combination of both of those things. Yeah, but, you know, Toronto could learn a lot from a place like Mammoth, California. <laughs> yeah, it it still blows my mind that the. Uh, this is a little bit in the weeds for people who don't live in Toronto, so maybe they won't care. Maybe I should edit this out, but it still kind of blows my mind that the fine, the penalty for getting caught sneaking on the TTC is greater than like, like most parking tickets or, or like some traffic tickets. Like, yeah. 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 People, people who, who break the rules on public transit have to pay more than people who own vehicles and break the rules with those. Yeah. And that's because capitalism is a corrupt system. Yep. Um, You know, but yeah, anyway, so there were some towns that uh, I would just hitch a ride, um, you know, but I would always offer gas money. Mm -hmm. And you would meet like really interesting folks. Like there was one guy who drove me back from Lake Isabella back to Walker Pass. And he was like this old guy, probably in his like late 70s or had to be at least late 70s. His name was Ted. (laughs) He drove this really, really old uh, Toyota forerunner. Um, and he like, uh, told me stories about his life and his failed marriages and his kids and his upbringing. And, um, and he was like on dialysis. Oh, wow. And the least I could do was to compensate him properly for his time and effort. You know, it's a long drive from Lake Isabella back to the trail. Um, you know, so that's just one example. And the, the guy obviously was, you know, not living large. Yeah. Uh, and you have to be respectful of people in those situations. They're stopping out of the kindness of their heart or because yeah. they want to meet they want to meet someone interesting and from out of town, right? So But that still doesn't mean that you get to just like take, take advantage of that. Yeah, because yeah. you're doing them the favor, the kindness of spending time with them. Or yeah, some okay. shit like that. Everyone wants to spend time in a in a car with a stinky hiker. Stinky hiker. Who, by the way, I mean it wasn't honest to God, it wasn't like two weeks until I got home that I actually realized how bad I stank. <laughs> um you know, obviously you do laundry when you're in town, um, but like my pack smelled so bad. My down jacket was, I've never, I don't think I have a single piece of gear that ever smelled as much as my puffy smells. Um, and you just become nose blind to it. Like mm-hmm. I feel bad in retrospect for even bringing my pack on the plane. <laughs> like I can't, I feel so bad for the guy who was sitting directly underneath 
the overhead compartment. Like, he must have smelled it. There's no oh fucking way God. he didn't. Like, the guy who sat next to me, I'm sorry. Like, I apologize. <laughs> Could you at least, like, put it in a garbage bag or something? Well, I mean, but you're getting on a plane. It's, like, very chaotic. Yeah, true, you know, you true. have to be able to carry it. Like, it's, yeah. I don't know. It's just, wow. But you smell really bad, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I can't wait. I smell bad normally, so. Like, it, it, there's, there's some people who were doing, like, like, um, challenges where they were like seeing how long they could go without bathing and i'm like oh that's so revolting for like i mean i couldn't do that to myself much less other people like <laughs> no you you had to take a dip in november and in, in la cloche to get clean yeah no but i mean After you know the days. alpine lakes were one of the best the best parts right yeah just jumping in in the middle of the day Oh, man. What was okay? So I'm going to bring it down for a second. What was the what was what was one of your or like, did you do you have a definitive like low point on the trail, like a point where you really like either weren't sure you wanted to do it or you were just I don't know, you just like you were low on morale or Mm, no, I don't think there was a single day on trail where I didn't find something that I really loved or or could find memorable. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly, I think the hardest day probably was uh, doing the aqueduct and the wind farm because the wind was so relentless. Those were both in one day? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, it's relentless. The wind is really terrible. And I, I actually, the day that I walked through, it was not particularly hot. So at least I didn't have to contend with that when yeah. I was crossing the Mojave. However, it was extremely windy. There was like a wind warning. You must have had so much dust in your eyes. Um, it's just like, it was just pushing you from all angles. You'd be like, stop pushing me, wind. This, <laughs> this is rude. It's Don't you like, know I'm a through hiker? It's really demoralizing. Yeah. It is because you have to expend so much extra energy just like... Throwing, on nothing, on air. <laughs> throwing your body into the wind trying to get ahead of it. yeah. Okay, well then on the flip side, what what was one of your best days on the trail or, or moments? Um, I think one of the most, I mean, looking back on it, it was definitely type two fun. But uh, <laughs> when I was climbing up to Pincho Pass, which is like the second or third pass in the Sierra, uh, and then I got hit by like a freak snowstorm. Oh my God. Like probably a thousand feet from the top, like elevation wise, a thousand feet from the top. So I probably still had like maybe a mile to go. And basically I was like on this exposed like section of the approach trail. Um, and there were very few trees and it was just like suddenly a whiteout uh, with like, really high winds and I was like well I'm not going down because I don't want to climb any of this again so I guess I'll just camp here and uh it was a little freaky because I didn't know how long it was gonna last um and it turned out to be I don't know maybe two or three hours of snow uh and then and then the sun came back out uh but by that point it was too late to keep going in the day so I just set up camp Um, yeah like I I'd set up my tent but you know, I just decided I was going to stay the night. That's fair. That was, t- that was type two fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that was that was one of your favorite moments. Yeah. I mean, besides besides that, um, I think there were a couple nights of cowboy camping that really stand out. Again, like seeing the stars at Walker Pass, Milky Way. Um, you know, just like really, 
really beautiful moments, sunrises and sunsets and um, swimming in the Alpine lakes. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Um, something I've been dying to ask you, how did your deconstructed uh, dumplings work out? Um, oh, that one I never really, never really perfected. I'm still working on that one. What about your congee? Yeah, but I did bring I did bring a couple batches of congee. I also made some lentil dal that worked out really nicely. Nice. Um, so those were things you didn't get sick of? Like those were things you were glad to have in your resupply? Well, I, I kept a lot of those homemade meals for like days when I was like, you kind of needed a morale boost. Uh, you know, but like I did, I did mail myself um, like fancy ramen packages like the really nice korean uh ramen that are hard to find so i i brought down a lot of supplies with me to san diego and then i mailed a couple packages ahead to kennedy meadows and then also to acton um so you flew with them yeah i yeah. flew with them and uh, for the first for the first half of the trail i would say those are the only two places where i would say it's good to send um a resupply um, or at least, at least action. part of a resupply to sort of supplement because the, the, the stores there are either really expensive or just have a poor selection. Yeah. Um, and you know, maybe hiker town, uh, the market, the market was, um, the Ninach market was, had a really great selection, but it was super expensive. Mm. Yeah. Okay. If you could say one thing to the trail, what would it be? No, I had a great time. I mean, I, I think it's, again, it's one of those things where, like, people have so few opportunities to challenge themselves um, that if you have the opportunity to or you have the inkling to, of wanting to do it, you should just do it. Life is so short. It, it really is. You know, like, between climate change and, you know, the, the, the finite um, uh, nature of health, you know, like a anything could happen to you at any time, right? You can't, you can't say, oh, I'll do this in a couple of years or I'll do it when I retire. Yeah. Like if you're not happy with the way your life is, you should do it now. Just do it now. Truly. I mean, maybe don't start, don't try to start the PCT on August 2nd, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do it when it's safe to start it. Yeah. <laughs> start before the beginning of May. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. End of April, I think, is is really sort of uh, when most people should they, they should be get on trail by that on point. trail by. Yeah. yeah. There have been so many points this summer. I've been like, what if I just go now anyway? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be the PCT. You know, the, no, that's know. the thing is like there's lots of other trails and places you could go. Yeah. It, it doesn't have to be that. It's just kind no, of. No, it does. I can't do any. I'm, I have like paralysis. I can't do anything else until I've done it. No, but um, anyway, yeah, that's pretty amazing. I'm proud of you. Thank you. I'm very proud of you. Even though I don't feel like I accomplished anything yet. Will you ever? Well, I mean, just let me finish the In BCD life? first. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, congratulations for what you have done, and thank you for sitting down with me today. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Okay. So before we go, uh, yeah, is there anything else that you would like to say about the PCT? Um, I think I just wanted to shout out the other hikers who uh, were people of color or black. Um, there were so few faces 
yeah. <laughs> on trail. Um, so, you know, one, I, I kind of, one of the trail names that I jokingly suggested for myself before I settled on cheese was uh, Jeff, because <laughs> I just thought the ubiquity of all the white men on trail was just so hilarious to me because the, the, everyone wears a sun hoodie and like black shorts and like people became interchangeable to me. And yeah. like so many guys had beards. I was like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't keep all of you apart. Like, I can't tell any of you apart. And that's not, that's not any of their faults. It's just like, the trail is still largely a homogenous experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, especially around uh, the Los Angeles area, um, around Baden Powell, especially, I ran into a lot of day hikers, um, trail runners who were, you know, Asian or brown or black. And that was like really cool and very rare. Uh, Montezuma Market, um, the one of the co-owners is a black woman. Cool. And I think that's really cool. And we should support her also great resupply there i really enjoyed it there that's near la montezuma, uh, montezuma valley is um okay. just north of uh, uh warner springs okay yeah shout out um but you know it's and i met a couple folks uh like swami bitter goat and eagle eyes um who both uh like, eagle eyes is from sri lanka um and uh uh, Swami Bittergoat is um, Sri Lankan descent, and he now lives in Canada. Cool. Um, but, you know, I had a lot of really rewarding conversations with folks like that on trail, and it was nice to to see other faces and um, meet people whose experiences mirrored my own growing up. Um, and it's not that I, I felt like – it's not that I felt like – I don't belong on trail because I, I'm secure in knowing that I belong on trail. There's yeah. no insecurity. I don't feel like I'm out of my depth or that I don't belong. But it's just nice to have the company of other people who who are like you and know where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that was really encouraging to me. And I hope that, you know, like you just see more of that on trail um, because meeting people who aren't like you is one of the greatest pleasures doing a long trail like that yeah i think i think that's a really important not that what i think matters but (laughs) yeah really even in other ways i mean like especially uh in the the sierra too you know the history of um bishop and everything that happened in the owens valley um where the indigenous folks there were dispossessed of their land and the water is an ongoing issue um, because the aqueduct rerouted all of that water towards mm-hmm. Los Angeles. There's land theft, water theft, colonization. Uh, don't even get me started on John Muir, who, you know, oh, of course has... for God's sake, yeah. You know, erased this legacy as well. Um, you know, so especially traveling through the Sierra, it was a very, like, if you understood the historical context for everything that had happened there, um, it, it's a lot to wrestle with as you're walking through there because... Uh, all of that context is completely absent from any of the signage. It's not really in the national park messaging. Um, I would love to see that changed. Yeah. Um, there was there was a museum or, or something that you went to that, yeah, that in, did offer some context. Yeah, in Bishop, um, on tribal lands, there is the Paiute Shoshone Cultural Center, which cool. if you are passing through Bishop is, I think, a worthwhile visit. Um, because it tells the history of that whole area, including um, everything that happened at the aqueduct. But, you know, it's also like, 
the John Muir Trail is called is named after a guy who like never even hiked the whole John Muir Trail <laughs> and like it had a name before he even was in that area. It was yeah. called the Numu Poyo because it was a seasonal migration route for the Paiute people. Like he didn't invent that route. He didn't discover it. Yeah. He didn't blaze any trail like he didn't even travel the full route like you said yeah i mean did he even climb your pass i don't know i don't think so (laughs) most places in north america that are named there that are named after white people are named after white people who never visited those places i mean i know he was around the area but that's true for that's true for a lot of stuff in sierra like a lot of the passes are named after you know like a guy who was like one of the first people to head the national park service like i think that's mather pass pincho pass is named after a national park, um, you know, uh, person in leadership, uh, you know, like some of the lakes were named after like John Muir's daughters. You're like, yeah. <laughs> why, why is there not a single, uh, lake that is, has like a Paiute Shoshone name? It's like, there's Squaw Lake, which is a horrible oh, pejorative. God. Yeah. And there isn't a single one where like people can just reclaim the name of like what it was called originally. Yeah. You know, um, and this is a problem all throughout all all outdoor, <laughs> like any yeah. any any like outdoor recreating, like yeah, you can't sure. even name a place without perpetuating colonization. Yeah. I, I I would love to see I would love to see more integration of yeah. like talking about the actual um, history of the trail. You know, even even further south, like in Warner Springs, mm-hmm. um, when you get to Eagle Rock, like that is a sacred site for. Um, indigenous people who have lived there and you know people hikers just climb it which i think is really disrespectful for the gram and for tiktok and for yeah yeah just just little things like that right like even if they the pcta could put up a sign that says like this site is sacred Mm -hmm. don't climb on the back of it you know it's so easy yeah, it's just like little things like that or, or like explaining the history of the John Muir Trail. Like I'd love to see signage that talks about that. I wonder what's stopping them. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I, I think that's a complicated question. Mm-hmm. Um, for one, it has to be done in in coordination and with the consent of like of course. the indigenous folks who have history there. Um, so the question is, is do they want that? Right. Right. And who writes that? Right. Um, you know. Yeah, I guess there are two ways to do it. You like could it has, just slap it has to be a sign done. down or you could actually consult with the people. Yeah, and yeah. It, I mean, I, I think going, like, to the cultural center almost makes more sense than just putting a sign up there that people are just going to walk past and ignore. Right. Probably, like, most people Take do. a picture right in front of. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it, that that's a complicated question, and I, I think um, uh, specific to that part of the Sierra, uh, Indigenous Women Hikes, um, Jolie Varela is a really good person to follow on Instagram. She lives in Bishop um, and she's been advocating for a lot of that sort of, um, you know, reclamation of history uh, for for many years now. She's a good person to follow. I mean, I'm just a person who's sort of passing through and observing it, but um, I I think it's an incomplete picture of the area. Well, I think it's fair. I think it's fair for you to comment on it. I think that's fair game and you're not trying to speak on behalf of anybody. You're just sharing what you experienced and you just plugged somebody who also has an, you know, has very important perspective. So yeah. I mean, not that 
I can <laughs> I can't say that what you did <laughs> like I'm not in a position to be like you're not doing anything wrong but I also don't think you are so yeah. <laughs> um all right well that was that was really wonderful and I think yeah these conversations need to happen like it, <laughs> in any conversation yeah. about it, like, it needs to happen here too yeah right? I, um and I think it's a complicated question like yeah. even just talking about Killarney or Algonquin like how do you how do you go about reconciling um the dispossession that happened yeah um you know in provincial parks national parks all across canada yeah it's it's the same conversation um i don't know what the answer to that is but you know the the owens valley in particular is a very marked case of colonization um and there's a lot of like terrible lessons to be learned there yeah well i guess it's just yeah it's just something that you kind of you chip away at by by not letting it go on yeah. I don't know unnoticed I, or unspoken about like you just keep bringing it up and yeah I don't know what were you gonna say well it's it's also because it's the crown jewel of yeah. of you know America's like outdoors right like everybody wants to hike the JMT right um, and or the PCD by extension so yeah I think if you're gonna do that you should you should you should show respect to to the history and to the people who you know, suffered so that that could happen. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 